0: Good evening, Um, tonight's reading comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 36. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathised with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves have better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. together. one of those funny Better Together videos? it's oh, a shame. Josh made them all. Give him a clap. They're lovely, aren't they? You and I are unavoidably and irreducibly hope-based creatures. We are controlled in how we live now by what we think will happen later. I heard this quote a few years ago, and it's really stuck with me. It's by Tim Keller, and um, the more I think about it, the more I think it has something rich to say. Every big decision I've ever made, ever, everything that's controlled the way my life has gone has been based on what I hoped would happen. After finishing high school, I enrolled in uni, hoping to learn some important things, develop some good skills, and eventually, hopefully, get a good job. Uh, many of us work hard during the week, hoping to make a difference, or even just to get paid at the end of the week. And we eat certain things, exercise certain amounts, do all kinds of different things because we hope for something. And ultimately, how we spend our life is determined by what we hope will happen after we die. By our eternity, what we think about what life is going to be like after death determines how we live now. We as humans are hope-based creatures. As I've, uh, been giving more, sorry, as I've been getting more opportunities to preach, um, I've been really enjoying the learning and the preparing stage of it because it feels like everything that I prepare is like, the most exciting, most important thing I can say. And Alana laughs at me when I say this, um, but this really does feel like one of the most important things that I've like, ever thought through, written, spent time thinking about. I don't think it's something that we think about enough. I don't think it's something that we slow down and ponder enough. What is heaven going to be like? And honestly, I wish I could speak for like an hour, maybe two hours, but I have 20 minutes, so I'm going to do the best I can. Um, So in this time together, I really want to specifically focus on one idea. And it's uh, one question that I have for us. How does your hope transform the way that you love your neighbor? Sorry, the floor's like squeaky here. Is that a normal thing? It's like a little lump here. I'm just going to move over a bit. I'll say that again. How does your hope transform the way that you love your neighbor? And in order to break this question apart, we're going to mostly look at Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32 that Anessa just read out for us. Um, But before we get into it, I'm just going to pray for us. Lord God, I want to thank you that in Jesus we have solid, everlasting hope. Help us to explore this together in this time right now that we might live in this hope, that we'll find our comfort, our joy, that we'll find boldness and radical compassion for others in knowing and trusting you. Amen. So if any of you like taking notes or just want to know what's going on, uh, these are the three spaces we're going to kind of go through tonight. Um, We're going to look at the power of hope, the power for hope, and then finally, in a kind of a practical thing, how hope empowers us to be better together. Cool. So we're going to have a quick look through the passage again, um, just as Anessa read it. Just going to focus on a few little bits in it. Right at the start of the passage, they receive the light. And I'm going to focus on what that actually means for our lives, what that practically actually meant. But for right now, let's just take this as a turning point in their lives. I think it clearly means that they've experienced Jesus in some new way and it's a turning point. And as context shows us, hope enters their lives. And the logic of the sentence structure is like this. Remember that time when you'd just been filled with hope and then what happened after that? You endured a great conflict full of suffering. The whole premise of this passage is what happens after you receive hope. And the author explains what oh, sorry. Explains what that, that persecution actually looked like. Sometimes you personally had the suffering come straight at you. But sometimes it also went to the people that you love. Sometimes it was directly at our group of people. But even when it was at the other group of people, you stood side by side with them. This persecution was based on what we believed. So if I was to go and stand over here with them, I'm obviously saying, I believe it too, persecute me as well it's a huge step it's sacrificial it's scary they took a risk and I think the climatic verse in this passage for me is this one you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions I love this combination of joy and of compassion and of hope. It's so clear here. The reason that they did it is because you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Hope empowered them to be compassionate and joyful in the face of this crazy suffering. We know that biblical prisons weren't like modern ones, they would have been horrific, they would have been horrible. If you were put in a biblical prison, a prison 2,000 years ago, you probably weren't going to get much food unless someone brought it to you. You were going to be in a really bad space unless someone helped you. But like it says, if the people that needed to help you, that meant identifying. It was this awful situation. Do you risk being put in that prison alongside them just to help your friend? The ESV translates it really similarly, but I think it has a little bit of a different... Idea to it. Just this one verse. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Because of this hope, because of this hope, compassion overflowed. They were so excited about their earthly sorry, they were so excited about their heavenly possessions, the possessions that never fade, that are invincible. They were so much better. They were free of their earthly ones. They were radically free. So that's kind of the overview of the passage. And before we get into practically what this might look like for us in our modern world, uh, we're just going to look at um, where hope comes from. And I want to look at particularly two barriers to hope. And they are trust and actually knowing the promise. I know when I was young, maybe you had a brother or a sister or whatever. I was the middle brother of two, and um, I think I learned it from my older brother. But I knew that if I promised my little brother an infinite amount of money, billions or millions of dollars, he would pretty much do whatever I wanted him to. Uh, if I told my little brother that I would give him a million dollars to eat a bug or to jump into the pool in the middle of winter, he did it. It was awesome. And it worked really well for a while. I think I remember him doing a couple of these things, but um, it quickly faded because he quickly learned that I literally never, not even once, followed through on my promises. Whether it was a promise that I'd be a slave for a week or that I'd get him chocolate or, again, I'd give him millions and billions of dollars, I didn't once do it. He learned that I wasn't trustworthy. But when God makes huge promises to us, do we trust him? Because God promises us things that are far better than the things I promised my little brother. But the Bible is absolutely full. It is, from start to end, it is full of examples about how God never fails to keep his promise. About how He is faithful, about how he's completely trustworthy. Because hope only works when we know the person that makes the promise. Trust comes from knowing someone. If you knew seven-year-old Ben, you wouldn't have trusted him. I promise you that. But as we know the eternal God, the one who puts up with centuries of disobedient, forgetful Israelites, the one who came to earth, who died in our place, we learn and we get to know this God who is absolutely trustworthy. And this is what that first verse was talking about. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured a conflict, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. I want to stop and think about what received the light means. Like I said before, it's obviously their conversion, but why does he say received the light? What is so significant about this visual imagery? And I think it's important to think about what does light actually do? And it makes sense when we think about light actually helps us to see. And it's obvious they didn't see something new physically, but they saw something new spiritually. They saw the character of God. They saw who is, and it changed them. They knew they could trust him. This language is used again in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where it says that they received the light of knowing God's glory in the face of Christ knowledge about how good and faithful he is so the first thing here I want us to know that you can't have otherworldly joy filled hope can be radically free without knowing who God is knowing his character and that's the first bit that changed in our passage but there's also a second part here too Firstly, they knew he would keep his promises, but secondly, they also knew what the actual promise was. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. They knew what was coming for them. I don't know how many of us know the purpose-driven life. Maybe hands up. Do you guys know this book? Um, It was about 20 years ago that The Purpose Driven Life came out. Um, I remember it was like one of my earliest childhood memories or something. I guess I was like six or seven. And um, when the book came out, it was like this exciting new thing that everyone in church was amazed by. And um, it's a good book. Don't get me wrong. Uh, But I heard this sermon a couple of years ago that um, was called The Promise Driven Life. And it kind of like really stuck with me because... The essential part of this sermon was that the human life is designed to be driven, designed to be fueled, designed to be empowered by the promises of God. It is a promise-driven life that we live. God makes these promises, God keeps these promises, and God fulfills these promises. But we need to know that promises aren't reassuring, they're not comforting unless we know them, unless we remember them. Let me give you an example. If I made my wedding vows to Alana and I meant them with all my heart, but she wasn't listening, they're not comforting to her. They don't mean very much to her. She's not going to live in the security of knowing my wedding promises to her. Or if I promised you guys that if anyone can go a whole year without eating pizza, only like two people took me up on this offer this morning, that I would give them unlimited pizza for the rest of their lives. Would you do it? Would you go a year without pizza and get unlimited pizza? Would anyone take that? More than the morning service. (laughs) But if you left this place tonight and you forgot about it as you walked out the door and next week you're eating pizza again, what's the use of the promise to you? It means nothing. Because if you forget the promise, you're not going to be able to live in the promise. And God makes so many beautiful promises to us in the Bible. I did a bit of research and I found like a list of like a thousand different biblical promises to us. And um, I wonder if anyone here would be brave enough to maybe share theirs. I think two people shared theirs from this morning. Maybe like a favorite Bible verse. Anyone going to be brave? I have a list in case no one does. We'll just go to my list. Beautiful. The top one on my list. I love it. Oh, it's pretty small. hope you guys can read that. It's so good. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is a beautiful, hope-filled promise for us. And the promise is that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And if you don't know that promise, if you don't live in that promise, what's the use of that promise to you? If you don't believe in him you're not going to get the reward of the promise. But knowing it actually brings comfort and peace. And going down to Philippians 4, 6-7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. I, I love these promises. When things are crazy, when they're turbulent, when life isn't going well, you can pray and petition and give thanks to God and he will guard your heart and mind. That is a biblical promise to you. These promises are designed to fuel your life, to drive your life. But if we don't remember them, if we don't live in them, if we don't treasure them, we're missing out. I've done our one kid spot this morning. Sorry, let me just explain what KidSpot is. As, um, so in the, morning, uh, in the morning service, we have a little space in the service where all the kids come down the front and someone kind of chats to them for a little bit. And I've done one KidSpot before, and um, I talked to the kids about what they thought heaven would be like. Um, I got a few funny responses. I remember one kid said, um, heaven's going to be the place where the zombies aren't. Um, I hope that's true. I- I'm pretty confident it is. But sincerely, right now, if you had to answer that question, what would you say heaven is like? Do you have an answer for that? Are you excited about it? Do you actually know and know for sure what God has in store for you in heaven? Because you're not going to be excited about it, you're not going to feel secure in it unless you know what's coming. And once again, um, to use that light imagery, I have a a few ideas to actually show you so you can see a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. This is just a handful of verses. In John chapter 14, verse 3, Jesus says, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Heaven is going to be with Jesus. I am so excited for that. We're going to be with Jesus forever. Philippians 1, 23, Paul says, I desire to depart and be with Christ because it is better by far. Paul knows in all things, being with Christ in heaven will be better. Psalm 16, verse 11, I have a lot of favorite verses. Again, this is one of them. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You can't get fuller than full and you can't get longer than forevermore. In heaven, there will be fullness of joy forevermore. In Luke 13, Jesus says that it will be like a huge feast. People will come from the east and the west and the north and the south, and they will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. It's gonna be like a huge party. One, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, Larry shared this a couple of weeks ago, I think, tells us that in heaven we will be born again into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Eternity of fullness of joy. And this is only a glimpse of the paradise that is to come. And I wish I had more time to, again, give you more of a fuller picture of get you excited for heaven. But if you're not excited about heaven, you are missing out on God's most precious promise to us. And let me just finish with this last idea to get pretty practical with us. Hope empowers us to be better together. This passage in Hebrews really excites me because these guys are so radical. They are so excited about heaven, so trusting and in love with God that they are absolutely, completely, undeniably free. No storm can rob them of their joy. They are in a severe trial and yet they have joy. I want to live like that so badly. I want to be so in love with Jesus, so trusting of his promises that nothing takes joy away. So my question at the start was, how does your hope transform the way you love your neighbor? And once again, I'm going to break this down into two little bits. How do you personally live in the power of hope? How do you keep hope at the front of your mind every day, living with an eternal perspective, knowing the promises of God, holding them true, and actually making your decisions based on that? And for me, I've been super challenged preparing this, memorizing the promises of God. Maybe there's one promise here that you want to commit to memorizing this week. Maybe you want to put it on your wall or say it to yourself every morning. I recently um, had someone remind me of Lamentations chapter 3. It's like the really sad book in the Bible, but it's also got some real beautiful stuff in there. And they were just talking about how, in a really difficult season of life, this passage just meant the world to them. Again, sorry, it's pretty slow, but I'll read it to you. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet I call to, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the, the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. And this is the part I think they said to themselves every morning. I I remember even being taught this in high school, and it's beautiful. For his compassions never fail, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His compassions never fail, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And it continues, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him to the one who seeks him. I could just imagine how powerful it is that in a hard season of life to be able to remember just bits and pieces of this. And maybe it's memorizing this whole section or maybe it's memorizing three lines. But just like a car needs petrol, you need hope. Hope is what will drive you through the hard times. And I think there's a special memory There's a special beauty in memorizing Bible promises, but um, I can't express how much comfort I've gained from these few words. They kind of combine a few different Bible promises together. Life is hard, God is good, and glory is coming. I think every one of us can memorize that really easily tonight. Life is hard, God is good, and glory is coming. Uh, I... I believe in these words with all my heart, and I've said them to myself so many times where things are just hard, and they bring so much comfort knowing that this is true. Because God's promise to us is that no matter what happens in these 90, 100 years on earth, if you believe in Jesus, if your faith and trust is in Him, eternal paradise is waiting for you. Eternal paradise. So therefore, how do we love our neighbors? I love that this passage in Hebrews isn't just like, find inner peace and you're all good, hang out by yourself and no worries. This passage is radically others focused. The kind of hope that comes into your life and frees you is the kind of hope that also transforms you into a more compassionate, more sacrificial, more joy-filled, more other-centered person. Once you're secure in Christ, you're free. You're open to others. And maybe you can relate to this, but I know how much more selfish I am when I'm focused on trying to impress someone or save up for a a car, and that's where my hope and energy is going to. But when we focus on fullness of joy forevermore, I think something shifts in us. So as we increasingly focus on heaven this week, who's someone in your life that needs compassion? Who's one person that you can think of that you can this week reach out to? What What do they need? What can you give them? If it's a sacrifice, if it's uncomfortable, are you willing to let go of some of your earthly possession because you have so much more in heaven waiting for you? In Hebrews, it meant identifying with those in prison and maybe being put in there with them. But for us in our modern lives, maybe it's as simple as talking to someone after this service that you haven't met before. That seems a little bit weird, like I am. Maybe it's scary, maybe it's slightly uncomfortable. But we need each other. Maybe it's volunteering an afternoon of your time. Maybe it's a Saturday, giving it to a local charity or offering to be involved in a church ministry. Maybe it's going overseas and doing something with GMP or spending a couple of years overseas. Are you willing to let go of your earthly possessions because of how beautiful the possessions you will have in heaven are? There are people everywhere that don't know the promises of God. They don't know the hope that we have in Jesus. And just like we need them, they need them too. They need to know the hope that you have in Jesus. They need you to share it with them. So this week, as we dig deeper into hope, to understand what it means for us and how much it changes our lives, let's be ready to share it with others. Let me just pray for us as the band comes up. God, I want to thank you again that you are the kind of God that makes radical promises to your people. Help us to know these promises and at the very same time give us spiritual sight of knowing your faithfulness. May the hope that grows in us produce this same kind of joy and compassion and courage that it did in this passage from Hebrews. Empower us, your people, to step out boldly, willing to share your hope no matter what the cost. Because we know that we have better and abiding possessions with you for eternity. He's been